this morning, um, I was just up in Linden, so I just walked in the door five minutes ago um, at a little Hispanic church called Hispanic um, Iglesia, or Iglesia Hispanica, I think that's how they say it, and uh, with Pastor Ivan Montenegro, and that was really fun, and then I scurried down here, and I was watching the live stream on my way down, and I'm like, I hope I make it in time, so I made it in time, and so it's really good, really good to be here, so if you want to give, you can give in the little box in the back, and, um, or if you want to turn some, to someone here today and just give them 100 bucks because you're feeling generous, I think that'd be a really good idea, too, um, but um, God is faithful, so I just want to share a message that I felt like God put on my heart for today, and, uh, and here it is. So if you can grab your Bible, go to the book of John, chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Charlie, you're looking suave as ever. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the watch and the jacket, and, it's, and Alex, you're looking pretty good too. Yeah. Aaron, you're looking great. Good, good look. We're just going to, first, John chapter 8. I could eventually just go through everybody in the room and just compliment your style. We could, we could do that this morning. Um, Nick, love the hair bun, the, the man bun. It's, it's needed. How many of you would wish you had a man bun? Anybody? I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> I don't know where the service is going this morning. Anyway, um, John chapter 8. You're either going to find I'm annoying or funny. I'm not sure which, but um, a little of both. Well, good. We'll take the latter. Um, there's, this, there's this greeting. So um, Paul and Peter, if you look in the New Testament, any book that he's written, or those two guys write, they open it with this same verse. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, and I think I put that one in there, Desmond, is um, it's this, um, for grace, I can't even say it. Let's say it again. Oh, it's on the screen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single letter that Paul writes and Peter writes, he says something about grace and something about peace. And then at the end of every single one of these letters, there's a similar prayer at the very end. So apparently this whole grace and peace thing is a really big deal. And this has been stirring in my heart um, all week. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and every single, so I think it's like 13 books of the New Testament say something about grace and peace. And so I wanted to kind of talk through this a little bit today, and I, I guess the question is, what is grace? What is peace? And I can say this, God's plan for my life and your life is that we would walk in ever-increasing grace and ever-increasing peace. So let's pray. Jesus, thanks for everybody here. Lord God, what an honor. Um, what an honor to get to talk to this crew. Um, we just pray today. I, I pray every word from Jeremy we would forget, and every word from heaven we would have seared upon our heart. So Jesus, change me. Work in me. We just say like Samuel did, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can we just say that together? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, God. We need to hear from you. Everyone said? Amen. What is grace? 
So there's this book in the Old Testament called the book of Esther. And if you're a woman and you grew up in church, you probably love Queen Esther. She, yeah, you love, you love Queen Esther? Chapter 5, there's this part in the story. She becomes the queen of this Gentile king, this guy, this Persian king. And they find out there's a plot to destroy all the Jews. And so Esther finds out from her uncle Mordecai, who works for the king, and they say, Esther, you need to go before the king and plead for the lives of our people. And the problem is, if you didn't get summoned by the king, but you decided to walk in, and if he was having a bad day, if he did not extend his scepter to you, you're dead. And that was the way it was. And so Esther puts on her royal robes, puts on her royal um, crown, and walks into the throne room knowing this could be her last day. She walks in, and the king takes one look at her, extends the scepter, bids her to come in, and basically says this, if there's anything you want, it's yours. That is grace. We all could walk into the very throne room of God, and in our own merits, we do not deserve to be there. And in fact, we would die if we stand on our own merit. Jesus dresses us in robes, royal robes. He puts a crown upon our head. We step into his throne room, and he extends a scepter. And he says, I delight. What are you asking for? I delight in you. That is grace. It is delight-filled favor. That's like, whatever you want. Fill whatever you want. I'm writing the check. Whatever it is, like, I got it. I want to give it to you. This is, this is grace. We sometimes get confused with mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is, is receiving what you don't deserve. How many of we need a lot of mercy? And we kind of need a lot of grace, too. Grace. And, and then the second thing is, what's peace? Peace is like the word, in the word, the Old Testament, it's the word shalom. And rabbis would actually greet um, people and they would say, shalom to you, shalom. And shalom means wholeness, fullness, delight, nothing lacking, complete. It's kind of like a wall, like think of like a stone wall, and there's no gaps in it, there's no holes in it. It's not a bumpy wall, but it's smooth, it's perfect, it's not going to fall over, it's solid, it's firm. It's peace. There's this tradition in, in Rabbaic tradition where they would say this. God created everything in shalom. That means everything was perfect. Everything was right. It was full. It was delightful. It was happy. It was whole. And then we lost shalom. And things fell apart. And, and things were not perfect. And it was broken. And things got ugly and twisted. And the Hebrew, the, the rabbis would say this, there was shalom, shalom was lost, there will be shalom. So when they would greet each other, they would say, shalom, he will bring shalom again. Grace and peace or shalom to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, you guys, we need a lot of peace. 
We need some stinking shalom. Because there's gaps in our wall. There's brokenness. The wall looks like it's going to totter and fall over. There's brokenness in relationships and scars from our past. And this prayer that he was praying was, may you receive wholeness, delight, restoration to everything in your life. Grace, strength and empowerment, delightful favor to you, and peace, shalom. Everything in its right place. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers or the shalom makers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, I, I think it's really interesting. We're not called to be peacekeepers. We're called to be peacemakers. Think about it. It's not about keeping people at odds apart. It's not about trying to make sure that conflict isn't there. No. Blessed are those that make things whole. Oh, guys, that's a lot harder than just keeping conflict down. Because being a peacemaker means you go into the conflict. Being a peacemaker means you might get shot. Being a peacemaker means you go in the midst of trouble and trial and trauma and you say, I'm supposed to be here. This is the call of the sons and the daughters of God, that we would show up in the middle of the trauma and say, grace and peace to you. It's kind of a proactive thing. It's when a, a brother's walking in a sinful pattern. It's when two friends are at odds with each other. It's when somebody feels more superior and you come along in humility. It's, it's never about superiority or being about the more spiritual one, but it's out of love. We refuse to let sin bring death. That's a peacemaker. Paul and Peter open up every single one of their letters with grace and peace to you. And in all of their letters, there were some crazy situations. There was one guy that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. There was other people sacrificing things to idols. There was rich people oppressing poor people. There was brokenness and weirdness and twistedness, not shalom, in every single one of these churches. And they open up the prayer with this simple statement, you need grace, you need peace. How many know that the peace is a gift? The grace is a gift. I can't make my life whole. You can't make your life whole. Man, we need this gift of grace to us. I know this much. Grace and peace is meant to increase in my life. It's not supposed to be this. You prayed a prayer. You did the thing. And suddenly there's like this little measure of grace, this little measure of peace. And grace is this like empowerment, right? To live different, to have strength for today. But it's not supposed to remain this little bit of strength and this little bit of peace, but it's supposed to be ever increasing, multiplied. Even in 1 Peter, he said this May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's like somebody walking up to Charlie and said, I'm going to give you um, double the cryptocurrency that you have in your bank account every day for the next five years. I mean, that's, that's multiplied. More, ever increasing. We need grace today for our relationships, wisdom, favor, kindness, for the plans that God has for us next year to overcome sin, to step into victory. 
The second thing is that grace and peace looks differently at different times. You know, I'm a dad of a 10-month-old that loves to teethe. Well, I don't know if she loves it, but she's teething and she likes to wake up at weird hours. I need grace because I don't know what to do because she keeps crying. And we're tired and cross-eyed. And we need grace. And you might need grace because you're a grandparent or you're a son or you're whatever and you're walking through something or, or maybe you have some an issue at your job and in your relationship. You need grace. You need God's favor. And you need to know today that God delights in giving you grace. He delights in giving you the strength you need for whatever it is. And it's going to look different at different times. I think it, this goes without saying, but grace and peace is multiplied by God, not by us. I have no ability to get grace or peace in my life. I feel like, I feel like you know, in this season of COVID, everybody's going to a counselor these days. Because we got isolated and ripped apart from each other, and there's so much brokenness. And when you're isolated, and all you see is you, you see all the junk in you. And you're like, man, I'm a piece of work. I need some help. And counseling can be awesome and really good things can happen out of it. But transformation and wholeness comes from the peace of God. It's not about trying to navigate our brokenness. It's about God filling in the broken places. I do know this, though. It says in 1 Peter, 1, or 1 Peter 5, 5, that God, get this, gives grace to the humble. God gives strength and empowerment to the humble. In other words, God gives grace, his supernatural strength. It even says this in the Amplified. It says, God gives grace who put the apron on. God gives grace to those that take the servant spot. God gives grace to take the lowest place at the table, say, I'm going to serve, I'm going to give, I'm going to help, I'm going to come underneath. Why is that? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a towel, took a basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. When I go to the place of serving, I'm going to where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, there's strength. You need grace for your life? Where are you pouring out? It's a cool analogy that you might have heard before, but there's a there's in Israel, there's, there's this place called the Dead Sea, and then there's another place called the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is a normal river with fish and vegetation and all sorts of stuff, and it flows north to south, and it's teeming with life. The Dead Sea is a giant sea with an inlet, but no outlet. And many of you that have ever been to Israel, people even go into the Dead Sea and you can float on the top of the water because you won't sink down because there's so much salt there. There is nothing alive in the Dead Sea. If there is no outflow in my life, life will slowly be cut off. You might say, I don't really have anything to give. Oh, whatever. You know how to make cookies. You know how to give somebody a hug. You read something in your Bible this morning that encouraged you. Maybe you should share that with somebody else. You have a gift that you could give away. 
if there is no outflow out of your life, the life flow in will slowly cut off. Where are you pouring out? If your life is about you, your life will start to get sad. Because we were not meant to live for ourselves. We were meant to receive and have it flow through us. And I have found in my life, I have been the happiest when I receive something from God and I give it away. Finances, joy, a word from him, a skill, a talent that I have. When I allow, when I take that and I give it away, I find that God gives me something more. And then I give that away. And then he gives me something more. And then I give it away. You were not meant to live as a dead sea. You were meant to live like a hose. Let it pour through you. That is the happiest place we'll be receive. Grace and peace is meant to be given away. My next point is that we all have a role in receiving grace and peace. Luke 10, 9 through 13 says, and I tell you this, ask and it's going to be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Prayer matters to receive. There's a heart posture we need to receive. You need healing from God? Are you asking? You need wisdom from God? Are you asking? You need transformation in your world? Are you asking? I didn't say, are you complaining? I said, are you asking? We are really good at complaining to God and to ourselves about what we don't have. But are we simply coming to God each day and saying, God, I need blank. And then we come again. I need this in my heart, in my life. The, the other really important point is this. We can get mad at God for delays to his answers. But if you had an 11-year-old and they asked you for a car, would you throw them the keys? Maybe if you live in like Montana or something. Um, but chances are the 11-year-old is not going to get char the keys to, car to Charlie's Corvette. If there was a 20-year-old and they asked for $10 million, would you give it to him? Probably not. Why? Because some things that might seem like a blessing in our brain would not be a blessing if we received it today. God is really smart about giving us what we need when we need it. So don't get mad at God's delayed answers. Allow his timing because his timing, you'll actually get to keep the blessing. You'll actually get to flow in the blessing. God gives grace and peace through prayer. I mean, just like how all of these verses go, they, they open up grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of each book, again, grace, peace to you from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You would do really well that this week you would just say, God, I'm asking for grace today. I need strength and empowerment today for this, 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 and this, and this. God, I need peace. I need wholeness. I need healing in my life for this, this, and this, and this. And then to say, where could I give grace? Where could I give peace? Don't be a dead sea. Allow it to flow through you. God gives grace and peace. This is a really important point through his word. All of these books of the Bible were written with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says us a bunch of stuff. There is grace and peace in just reading God's word. 
You want grace? You want peace? Read God's word. A guy I really like, his name is uh, Bob Zorge. He says this, spending time with God is like trying to get a suntan. So what, here's what he means. When you're in the sun, you don't notice the effects of the sun on you. And often time with God can be just like that. You sit, but after you've been in God's word, after you've spent time worshiping him and you walk away, you notice that your skin is a little different. Your attitude is a little different. Your heart posture is a little different. There's a little more grace. There's a little more peace in your life because you sat with him. Grace and peace comes from his word. John chapter 8 says this really interesting story that I just want to read to you. and Let's put it up on the screen. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, and they placed her in the midst they were in their midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Let's stop right there. They're trying to trap Jesus. Because if they stone this woman, Jesus is breaking Roman law. And if they don't stone her, they're breaking Moses' law. So either way, they're like, aha, we got you. You're a lawbreaker. So anyway, keep going. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus, though, bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Sometimes the best thing to do is say nothing. Next passage. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Three things happened in this story. One, she received mercy. She deserved, you look at the Old Testament, you look at what was written in the law, she deserved punishment. She broke the law. She did what was wrong. Romans 4 says this, when the law came into my life, sin sprang to life. When the law said, do not covet, I suddenly wanted to covet. When the sign says, don't walk on the grass, what do you want to do? Walk on the grass. And, and Paul goes on to say, it's not that the law is bad. It's that the law as a tool, a gift from God, reveals the fact that there's sin in my heart. I want to do the wrong thing. And God says, you can't actually even change your heart. You need my help to want the right things. So this woman deserving death, deserving punishment, 
stood before Jesus, and the first thing that happened, all these accusations came, and they came with their rocks in their hand, ready to throw them. And all of us had had people throw rocks at us, and all of us have had rocks in our hands, ready to strike, ready with an accusation, and guess what? We're right. They are a sinner. They have messed up. They deserve the punishment coming to them. And all of us had rocks thrown our way, and guess what? We deserved it too. But Jesus bends down on the ground and doesn't say anything to all the accusations. And eventually, all of the voices of accusation fade away. And the only thing that's left is now everybody's staring at Jesus, scribbling in the dirt. Now, what was Jesus doing? We, we, we don't know. He could have been drawing pictures. He could have been writing out the Ten Commandments of here's all the things that are wrong. He could have been writing out Hosea chapter 6, which is all about I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Whatever it was, Jesus finished scribbling, gets up, and he says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. The first people to drop their stones are the older ones. Why? The older you get, the more you realize you don't have it all together. So they drop their stones and they walk away. And the younger ones are still standing there. Why? The younger I am, the more convinced of my righteousness I am. The more convinced of how right I am, the more convinced that I got the right answers. But as life goes on, we get a few bumps and bruises, don't we? We learn a few things. And so one by one, all the stones are dropped until eventually everything's very quiet. And the only thing left is this woman in the dirt and Jesus next to her. He turns to her, picks her up out of the dirt, and says this, Woman, where are your accusers? She looks around. They're gone. Jesus looks at you. Jesus looks at me. And he says, where are your accusers? And the reality is, when it's answered in the cross, all the accusations go hush. Because they got nothing on you when it's answered in Jesus. He paid the price for every failure, every choice, everything that messed up, even the thing that you messed up on 30 seconds ago, he reached into that place and he touched that spot and he said, my blood pays the price for this. Period. She received mercy. Guess what? She received grace. He then said to her, woman, go and sin no more. Now, Jesus isn't going to say something to somebody without the power for it actually to happen. Go and sin no more? Really? If Jesus says something, that means he's going to give the grace and the strength to do it. He gave mercy, he gave grace, and he invited her into a place of peace, wholeness, nothing lacking, everything fixed. Now, we don't know what this woman chose. We don't know if she ended up leaving her life of sin. We don't know if uh, she did what Jesus said and started following him. All we know is that he gave her this opportunity. I do know this simple thing. Jesus doesn't condemn me, but my sin does. 
It says in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is a sobering thing. Hebrews, sorry, Hebrews 3.12, it says, Take heart, brothers, lest there be in you any unbelie- evil, unbelieving heart that could lead you to fall away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's what happens when I persist in a life of sin. Jesus looks at me, and he says, I don't condemn you. But when I walk in sin, I'm taking steps away from him. And so he stands right here, and he says, come back over. I don't condemn you. And we persist in our ways of sin, whatever that is, and it hardens our heart. It deafens my ears to the voice of God. It makes me dull to him and his ways. Are you softer towards the voice of God today than you were a year ago? Are you harder to the voice of God today than you were a year ago? Jesus picked her up out of the dust and said, said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why? Because if she continued in the same place, six months from now, she's going to be in the exact same spot with a bunch of people with stones lifted in their hands once again. And once again, Jesus will show up in her life and say, I don't condemn you. Silence. I paid this all in the cross. But if we don't leave what we've walked into, we'll just go around the mountain again and again and again and again. And he'll keep saying to us, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. He condemns sin. But we have to let go. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. I, I, I get this. I get that, you know, there's a part of me that goes, man, like, Jesus, touch our hearts because we're not perfect and we make choices that we wish we wouldn't have. I, I know this one thing about this woman is that that day she saw the love of God. And love will help me overcome sin way more than fear. I'm not good at overcoming things just because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell or get punished or whatever. Eventually, fear fades. Eventually, I'm not afraid. And eventually, love is a lot stronger than fear. Our whole world system is based on fear. You go to work and you get a demerit, you get your dock and pay. You you do this, you do that, relationships fall apart. It's fear-based, but God's economy is love-based. We change not because we have to, but because he's so good. It's God's kindness that leads us to transformation, not his wrath, not his angry shaking fist over our head. No, but the extended hand of a father that says, I pick you, I choose you, I'm for you. And then when we finally begin to believe this, we go, well, why would I want that? He's so much better. Grace and peace to you. Man, we need grace. Man, we need peace. I'll say one final thing that I thought was pretty interesting. This word called cheap grace versus costly grace. 
guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. We're fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jack wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. Jesus paid it all. And because it's been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. This part's pretty key. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. It's costly. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock and keep knocking. Such grace is costly because it calls me to follow. It's a grace because it it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us all. This is the gospel. It's not a prayer we pray. It's a life we step into. I'm going to finish just this simple thought. Matthew 6, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus turned to that woman in the dirt and by grace picked her up out of the dirt. He said, leave your life of sin, which is costly. But he gave grace to do it. God is not going to ask you to do something that you're unable to do. But I'll tell you it, it is the daily, Jesus, I need your grace. I need your peace for myself today. Amen? Man, we need that grace. We need that peace. Yeah, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your your grace and your peace to us. God, we just pray today over every person in this room. I just pray, God, that we would step into a daily space of saying, God, I need your grace today. 
We know it's not cheap because you died so that we could have grace. And we know, God, that's going to cost us to leave our life for the sake of what you have. We say yes. God, I also pray for peace. God, I pray for healing, completeness, curses broken, torment done with, healing, God, where there's been brokenness, God. Places of grief, I pray, God, healing. Physical brokenness, we pray for healing. We need you today, God. We love you, God. I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Would we have a tenacity to come to God and ask him for grace and peace? Would we have a tenacity to seek his heart and say, it's only in Jesus that I'm going to get my grace and my peace? And knock expecting that he's going to come in. He wants to do it.